1 Thessalonians chapter 4, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, once you've found your spot, if you would uh, stand with me. The title of our message this morning is Abound More and More. 1 Thessalonians, Abound More and More. Chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. We're only going to read the first two verses and then we'll uh, go along as, uh, um, as uh, we go through. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, once again, I stand before you and indeed before your people. I pray that you would meet with us as always. Uh, Lord, we look back at this uh, epistle of Paul, this letter of Paul to the young believers there at Thessalonica. And for the most part, we see our, ourselves and indeed in the society that we live in today. And I pray, dear God, that uh, over for the next few minutes that we would put aside some of our ponderings. We would just focus on the things of you and the things that we will read and, and see and learn. As always, Father, I pray that we would make personal applications on the things that you would teach us through the Holy Spirit even now. I pray once more that you would speak to your servant. Let him not be seen, but the Lord and indeed his word will be preeminent in our thoughts, indeed in our hearts. And again, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in our midst today, perhaps that don't know you yet, as the Savior and the Lord of their lives. May today be the day of their salvation. And then for those of us who have made that profession of faith, again I ask that you would speak to us in a speak to us and more importantly that we would yield ourselves to you. So I pray, Lord, that uh, you would be pleased and you'd be glorified in everything that we would say and do in this hour. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We now move to a new tone or a new topic in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. In chapters 1 to 3, uh, Paul was essentially looking back. And from here on, you will see and we will learn that Paul is now looking forward uh, in this letter. Previously, he commended the believers at Thessalonica uh, of their faith, of their love, 
And now he is about to admonish these believers about hope. Hope in the Lord. You see, the believers here, as young as, uh, 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 as they were, uh, I mean, babes in Christ, young in the faith, they were doing well in the Lord. Uh, you remember Paul commended them in chapter 1 for their work of faith, their labor of love, and indeed their steadfastness in hope. Uh, that means hope in the coming or the return of the Lord Jesus. In chapter 2, once again, Paul was thankful and he wrote that he was thankful for them in how they have received the word of God uh, as the word of God, as in the truth, and applied it into their lives. If you were at the family camp, this is another example of hearing and heeding uh, what the word of God is. And then in chapter 3, of course, we have heard Timotheus report back to Paul, and Paul heard all the good tidings. Yoangalitso, uh, the, the, the word that we use for the good tidings of the gospel. Uh, and so Paul uh, heard of their faith, that means keeping the faith, uh, their love of the Lord and to each other, and their remembrance and their desire to see Paul, meaning that whatever Paul was thinking about uh, uh, the, uh, the lies and the, uh, uh, the, the, the things, the negative things that the, uh, the, the enemies or the perpetrators uh, of uh, 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 Paul, those that are against him, uh, hearing them or him hearing Timothy, uh, that uh, they desired uh, to see him again, uh, it comforted him and indeed encouraged him. And so here in chapter 4, uh, Paul continued his thoughts uh, about chapter 3, verse 12, uh, that thought of increasing, that thought of abounding. Uh, as much as they were doing well in the Lord, that's clearly seen, uh, especially after hearing Timothy's report, Paul said now in chapter 4, furthermore, furthermore, loipon, meaning moreover, besides, henceforth, now we beseech you, that word beseech there means we urge you, we exhort you, is the idea there, to abound more and more. My dear ones, none of us here have arrived. Like Paul in Philippians 3, we should not think as though we had already attained or were already perfect. If anything, we should count ourselves as not having apprehended. Uh, that means having not attained. That means not having seized or possessed. Uh, but we are to forget those things which are behind. And yes, they might be good things. They might be good works. They might be uh, uh, fantastic work done uh, for the Savior and His people. Uh, they indeed may be accomplishments for Him. But we are also and still to reach out unto those things which are before. 
we are to press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ. Somebody said, as a Christian and as a believer, if we are remaining static, if we are remaining the same in our Christian life, we're actually moving backwards and not forwards. And so Paul urged them, and by application to us, to abound more and more. It's an admonishment to be better, to spiritually grow, to progress, and even excel for the Savior. From here on, we will learn how Paul admonished them about moral purity from verses 3 to 8. That is what we will cover today. He will encourage them about love. There you go again. Love of the brethren, as well as the need for work or need to work for a living. And I'll explain that as we uh, go through that in verses 9 to 12. And I'm sure you're looking forward to Paul's discourse on the Lord's return and the events surrounding that time from verses uh, 13 to chapter 5, verse 11. Again, I say in the original manuscript, there are no chapter and verses. It's a, uh, a written uh, thought. And so Paul, like any other true pastor, he will cover difficult subject matters concerning the conduct of the believers in the church. In chapter 5, verses 12 to 22. All of these he will cover as an exhortation as an admonishment to continue in abounding more and more in the Lord. What we have here is that Paul, and so do I, I am urging you, I am exhorting you to do something about these matters that we will learn, uh, and uh, as we do, that we would abound more together. I'm not in, excluded in this. I'm well and truly part of this. All of us would abound more, grow more and more in the Lord in these last days that we are living. Now you notice Paul referred to them as brethren. Furthermore, then we beseech you brethren. His appeal to the believers at Thessalonica was one of communion, uh, as being in it together, uh, as we are now here at Calvary Baptist Church. We're in it together uh, in the ministry here. Uh, we are in it as brothers and sisters in the Lord. However, in verse 8, uh, you will see there, and when it's called for, uh, Paul uses, or he isn't afraid or sheepish, uh, to point out his pastoral authority. As well as in that he said, he that despiseth, despiseth not the man, despiseth not Paul, despiseth not the pastor, but despiseth God. Uh, Paul exhorted them to abound more and more. It was good that they were walking and pleasing to the Lord as they were, uh, but Paul prayerfully and encouragingly 
a desire to see them be, to see them be more, abound more, and do more for themselves and indeed the Savior Christ. It wasn't that they have achieved, but it's something that they should continually to strive, continually strive again and again in order to be and then grow in the Lord. Now verse 2, Paul told them that this was not something new to them. This is already what they knew through the commandments that they gave to them by and through the Lord Jesus. That means through the authority given to them by the Lord Jesus. None of us, pastors and ministers and evangelists and teachers, uh, we really have no authority. I call it pastoral authority. I only have authority because of what God has given me as an authority. But really, as a pastor, I have no authority. The authority that I have uh, and, and the true and real uh, uh, under shepherds is the authority of God. And, and I need you to understand that. Uh, no man in the church uh, has any authority apart from what was given to him by his master. And so here, Paul told them that these are not new. Uh, we gave them to you. We've instructed you. We've commanded you through the authority given to them by the Lord Jesus. And so what are these? Okay. What is it that Paul wanted for them to be strengthened and to be established in their faith. What is it uh, that he prayed for them to be perfected in what is lacking in their faith uh, in chapter 3, verse 10? And uh, we've uh, uh, rec um, learned through that already. Now, we covered this last time, remember? Uh, it is for their love to increase and abound more toward one another, and we labored through what love really is and what it means uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we went through how uh, that if we are to be real and genuine disciples and followers of Christ, and that for that unsaved world to know and see and verify and prove that we are really true followers of Christ, is that we should love each other in here first. Because if we can't even do that here, if we think evil of one another in here, how do we even love the world that is out there? And, and so we, 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 we covered that quite extensively and purposely from my point of view. And then Paul then said, furthermore, chapter 4 now, uh, verses 3 uh, to 4, uh, he said, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Uh, let me pause at this stage. Now, because of the seriousness of this matter within 
and without the church and the need for this topic to be addressed in this our time, parents, I'm going to say some words that you might have to explain to your young ones. And if you as parents believe that that's something that your children are not ready to hear or you're not ready to deal with with your children, you may be excused now. You can leave your seats now and be excused and you can watch me through the sermon audio. So I'm giving you now the warning, as I have been told before, that if I'm going to go through sensitive topics like this, give you a warning. So parents, if you believe your children are not ready for this or not appropriate for this, you can leave your seats now. Okay. You don't need me to tell you that we're living in the days of sexual inequity and promiscuity. It's all around us. It's in the system through the internet, books, magazines, TV programs, music, movies, and sadly, even in our own school system, it's everywhere. It's not only all around us, but it seems that by and large, our society, sadly, some so-called Christians are enjoying it, or at the very least, excusing it. Sexual immorality is so aggressive, open, and so bold uh, these days that it's now the norm. It is now the norm to be immoral, and those of us uh, that are still or following and engaging uh, in purity uh, and faithful faithfulness are now the ones that are abnormal or the ones that are odd, the ones that are backwards. Uh, and so sexual immorality is not only accepted and normalized in these days, in these last days, but also promoted and encouraged. And so Paul knowing what and where the Salonicans were prior to their salvation and how they lived, he wrote to them and said, This is the will of God for you that you should abstain from fornication. And so Paul said that to these believers at the church. The letter was addressed to believers like you and me. Now let me, let me remind you, there are the thus saith the Lord principle in the entire Bible. These are certainly the clear stated will of God. We don't need to pray for these, we need to obey them. And this one here is one of those clearly stated will of God. This, Salonicans, is the will of God for you. This Calvary Baptist Church is the will of God for us. Can I also say that if you as a believer cannot submit 
and follow the clear will of God as plainly stated in his word, it will be very hard for you to discern, let alone obey, those that are not so directly and clearly stated in the will of God, in the Bible, in the will, his will for your life. If you cannot submit to what he clearly said, as thus saith the Lord, how can you even discern those things that are not clearly stated as the will of God? Paul used the word porneia in here. It's a very broad term that includes all forms of sexual sins. And the Salonicans are just too familiar with it and have engaged and been part of it prior to their salvation. And so Paul told them, just as he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, abstain, or better yet, flee. Flee from uh, all sexual sins. Now what are these? There are several Greek words, and by that I mean I'm not an expert on Greek words. There are several Greek words, I, I got this from uh, one preacher, that describes or is relevant to sexual sins. There is porne. It means one that you can purchase, a whore, a harlot, a prostitute. There is Pornuo, which was a business of making a living by prostitution. Then there is palake, singular. This is a Greek word for a sex slave. In those days, acceptable as part of the concubine where uh, women were considered just a little bit more than an animal. A little bit more than an animal, a property, a tool for household chores, and yes, a sex slave for the master of the house to fulfill his sexual desires. The palakai, plural, were accepted as part of the Greek society, heteri, prostitutes for pleasure, palakai for the body's daily needs, and ginaekes, uh, that is wives, for the bearing of legitimate children and for the guardianship of their homes. Many words that is relevant to sexuality and sexual sins. Then there is moikos, a word for an adulterer, someone who is engaged in sexual activity other than his real spouse. An etterai is another one of those sexual sins that people uh, engaged in in Paul's days. And that word means a mistress. One that is a bit above the sexual slave. And they normally are friends with benefits, as we say today. Now what I have mentioned so far are heterosexual relationships or since practice in the society of their day between a man and a woman. Then there is the homosexual relationships 
on top of that. There is the arsenokoites, homosexuals, man with man. There is malakos, effeminate, the passive partners in a homosexual affair. And now you think that is bad enough. But don't forget, in the society of the day, there was temple prostitution. Uh, this is where one would go to the temple to worship Aphrodite or Diana at Ephesus or whoever or whichever sex or fertility god that might be. One would go to the temple and that one would commune with his god, small g, uh, by having a sexual relationship with the temple prostitute. How wicked is that? That temple is full of relationships happening, unbecoming, and right in front of people, and that is all done in the name of religion and worship. Sexual sins were common in their day. They were acceptable. They were tolerated. And they were encouraged just as it is today. They were socially acceptable. In so many ways, as it was in Paul's day, so it is today. And that wasn't only true in Corinth. And we know what Corinth is like. Uh, but that was true in the Greek world and where Thessalonica was part of it. Is it any wonder that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 9 to 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, idolat uh, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In that just one verse, how many of the sexual sins that we have already covered in one verse? Paul mentioned that in Corinth, and Salonica is no different from uh, co uh, co Corinth. But then he said, Paul then said, and as such were some of you. As such were some of you. But, oh, praise God. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that by application, uh, those of us, and this is something perhaps that we are not proud of, that perhaps live in this way, that now through the blood of the Lamb, we are washed, we are sanctified, and we are justified by the Spirit of God. And so because they, 
And so because we were washed, sanctified, and are now justified in the Lord Jesus, his will, his command for us now more than ever is to abstain, to flee from fornication, from all sexual sins, uh, to live a life that is set apart, to live a life that is not conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed from this world. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. How? Holy. Holy. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and what? Perfect will of God. Can you see the connection? Of course, the same author. Pastor, I want to know the will of God for me in my life. Well, here's one clear will of God for you. To flee from fornication. Why? Because you are now washed. You are now sanctified. You are now justified in the Lord Jesus. And you ought not to be desiring those things anymore. You ought not to be participating in those things anymore. You ought not to be inviting that into yourself anymore. You ought to be horrified just by the thought of going back to that kind of lifestyle anymore. Because you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified not just by any blood, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Back in our text now, in verse 4. Notice Paul said here that every one of you, that means we, that means men, that means, yes, women, you're not exempted here. All of us, regardless of our age, we are to possess our vessels. That means to control our fleshly and carnal passions in our bodies. In sanctification and honor, that means holiness unto the Lord. Now, if you were in one of uh, the breakfast, men's breakfast, I've covered this by way of statistics. And just because you are above 80 or so, that you're no longer prone to the passions of the flesh. Statistics actually say that these urges in a man is still well and truly active even after 80 years old. So our senior saints, I love them, and I hope that they know that. You, my senior saints, beloved of, of, of uh, the Lord, you're not exempted from these passions and these carnal passions in your flesh. And so, we are to know how. That's the idea here of when Paul said uh, that we are to possess. We are to control our passions. We are to know how. That's the idea. To know and to have the skill or the skills to gain control of our internal passions. My dear ones, listen. Self-control in response to one's sexual desire can and must be learned. 
Christians are not the victims or circumstances of their fleshly passions. No. Sexual desires can be controlled by the Christian and he must know how to develop that through God's enabling power. I have heard plenty of arguments about this and one common example is about dressing and dressing modestly. Without a doubt, ladies, you ought to dress modestly. Get yourselves covered. Let us not see your bosoms, your bellies, and your bottoms. Cover up. On the very same breath, though, I say, men, stop looking. Get off it. Do not blame the woman that's dressed indecently. Blame yourself for allowing your eyes, your head, and your heart to wander. Plenty of times in churches today, the group of men would say, well, it's the women's fault because they're dressing themselves scantily. And then the ladies would say, well, it's your problem because you're looking. I say we all have the responsibility. It's not one or the other, and let us not blame each other. Dress up for the Lord. Make a covenant with your eyes, with and for the Lord. And men, we need to also learn this. We need to know how we can control our carnal and our fleshly passions and urges. Like I said, make a covenant with your eyes. When you look at and converse with the opposite gender, do not feast on them. They are your sisters in the Lord. They are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And God forbid that if you're feasting on someone that is unsaved, remember that Christ Jesus died for that woman. And you have no right, you have no right to look at them lustfully. Understand, Paul was writing this to the Thessalonians. They are believers, and so are we. And so are we. We are made of the same stuff. Uh, we must put off the old man, that natural man, that fleshly man. And the Bible says that we are to mortify. Do you know what the word mortify means? It means kill it. Kill that passion and desire as we put on the new man. And notice how Paul compared those ones that are guilty of this wicked sin in verse 5. He compared them like unto the Gentiles who know not God. In other words, he compared them to the unbelievers. These are the ones who subscribe to the philosophy of the world. If it feels good, do it. No, that should never be found in our vocabulary. 
It should never be found in our thoughts. Just because it feels good doesn't mean that we should do it. Instead, we are to abstain. We are to flee fornication and we are to know how to possess, that is how to control our vessels, our bodies in sanctification and honor unto the Lord. Verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Do not go beyond that means do not overstep the mark. And what is that mark? The mark of morality. Defraud here means do not take advantage of a brother or a sister in any matter. In context, it means sexual misconduct, infidelity with another man's wife or woman's husband. Here yet again, I say, this letter was written to the believers at Salonica. And I say to you this morning, if you are unhappy, if you are unsatisfied with your spouses and your marriage, do not disperse that dissatisfaction or unhappiness to a brother or a sister by defrauding, committing adultery with them, whether in the act or of the heart. Matthew 5, verse 28. Be careful. Be careful what you say and what you listen to and who you listen from. As your pastor and one that genuinely loves you, And cares for you. Those of you who are having marital issues. You are most vulnerable. And are susceptible to temptations. To uh, temptations of going beyond. Of defrauding a brother or a sister. Stop. And stay away from flirtations. Again I say. Know how to possess. Know how to control your bodies. Husbands, stay and keep an eye of your wives. Husbands, stay and keep an eye of your wives. Protect them. Protect them. Wives, stay close to your husbands. You are not as strong as you think you are. Do not entertain advances, false commendations, and sweet talk from another man other than your own husband. 
Do not fall into manipulative and deceptive storytelling and traps. Stay with your man. I cannot stress it and warn you enough. You have enough problems and issues in your own marriage, let alone others. You really have no business counseling a married man alone. And you, as a woman, uh, you are not to interfere with another man's marital issues. Now, you young single girls, and some of them have left the room, and I understand and respect that. But listen to me, those of you that are here. If a bloke tells you that I'm a Christian, and he may profess to be so, and he comes and says to you, he loves you and cares about you, but he wants to take your purity and your virginity away. Let me tell you, as a pastor, as a father, and as a man, capable of doing things unbecoming, that bloke does not really love you. He doesn't really care about you. He actually is lusting after you and wants to defraud you, plunder you. Plunder you even. And once he gets what he wants from you, he will move to his next prey. Young people, listen. Again, you that are married and some sweet talker comes along and says all the things that you want to hear or perhaps makes you feel sorry for them and get your sympathy. And if you fall into that, you may find yourself in bed with this sweet talker and you have now crossed the line. You have now gone beyond. You have lost control of your vessel unto sanctification and honor. You have fallen unto uncleanness rather than unto holiness. Once again, that sweet talker is not offering you love. If anything, he is lusting after you. He wants to defraud you, to rob you, wants to destroy you and take you down with him. Listen when I say this. I love you. I trust you. But I don't trust the devil who can tempt you in these things. And so, like Paul in verse 6, I am forewarning you. I am forewarning you. Why? Firstly, because I do not want you to face the judgment of God in your life. Because the Lord is the avenger. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4, please. Hebrews chapter 13, here in verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. I said it, I heard it before rather, uh, uh, loosely and perhaps foolishly, a Christian would say, do not judge me for God is my judge. Now I understand the sentiment of that statement, but I do not know, I don't know about you, I'm terrified of the prospect of being judged by the Almighty God. Do not tempt God by that statement. And so, why am I for, for warning you? Secondly, because verse 7 of our text. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He said it very clearly and emphatically, abstain, flee from fornication, for this is His will. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be set apart unto holiness. Now, Titus chapter 2, please. Just go back. Uh, oh, sorry. Titus chapter 2. Um, another uh, letter of uh, Paul. <coughs> Titus, just before Philemon and before Hebrews, chapter 2. Here in verse uh, 11, and we'll go down all the way to 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God <coughs> uh, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us what? Number one, deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Number two, live soberly. Soberly means seriously righteously and godly in this present world. Did you see that? In this present world. Why? And here yet again, why uh, and what is the reason why uh, I entitled and preaching through this series to make us ready. To make us ready for His return because, look at the text, we are looking forward to that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Again, being saved does not stop in believing. The devils also believe and tremble, the Bible says. Beloved, there is the doing of good words, after being saved. We do not do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are already saved. And notice verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke <coughs> with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That's Paul talking to uh, Titus. And so Paul said this to Pastor Titus. And by application, uh, I'm taking it that Paul is saying this to me, and I'm 
uh, therefore communicating it, speaking it to you, I am exhorting you, I am rebuking you in love and in my pastoral authority. Now back in our text uh, here in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, here in verse 8, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Uh, 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 my dear ones, after all that I have said, you have a choice to make. You can despise me and the message that I just preached. That means you can reject it. That's your choice. But before you do, understand that you really are not rejecting me as a person or my pastoral authority. You are rejecting God and the Holy Spirit that indwells me and you for that matter right now. As in every other Sunday and whatever topic that I preach from this sacred pulpit, you have a choice. You can receive it or you can reject it. And if you think you're despising the preacher, you've got a lot more to think about than the preacher. Because you're actually despising the word of God. By your rejection, you are grieving him, quenching him, the Holy Spirit. It's really not the man. Not Paul. Not this pastor. But the God whom you are rejecting and through his word. And so this morning, as always, you have a choice. Reject or receive. And I hope and I pray that it's the latter. But you know, there's one that's been despised. And rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. He hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrow. Yet we did him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and with his stripes we are healed. That one is Jesus. The one who is represented in and through these emblems. The unleavened bread a bread without yeast, a portrait, a picture, a type of the sinless body of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the vine, the grape juice, as I've said many times over, there's nothing special about the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. What is special is the person represented behind the symbols.
that one was despised and rejected of man. But in spite of that, Romans 5, 8 tells us that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died so that you and I might live. Is it then too much to ask for us to flee from the sexual sins that he has already forgiven us of and redeemed us from and that his desire through his enabling power even that we would live godly, righteously, and holily, which from the Apostle Paul himself said, our reasonable service. You see, he doesn't ask us for anything that is unreasonable. He's only asking us to give him back what is reasonable. He's the one that's calling us unto holiness. And through him and what he has done at the cross of Calvary, we have been given a new life. A new life. My question to you is, how are you living that new life, especially in these last days. I've said it before and I say it again. Oh, Christian, there's not much time for arguments. There's not much time for disunity and discord. Take the moment in these last days to be ready for his return. And so when the day comes that we will stand before him in the judgment seat of Christ, that in some small way I could account for each and every one of you, you don't have the same accountability that I have. You're only going to account for yourself. I'm going to account for me. And for what I've done in this place. But as we all do that. May we all be ready. For his return. Oh would you live godly? Would you live righteously? Would we live holily? And would we flee. From all forms of pornea, all forms of fornication. Brother Branko, Brother Tim, would you now come?